Hey there, welcome to Pickled Parables. This podcast is presented by Parable Ministries as a Bible teaching resource. Thank you for joining us. Pickled Parables is a podcast about taking in and living out the Bible. Here we will study, contemplate, and testify to the Bible's incredible teachings and how it leads us to live better lives. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at Parable underscore Ministries and visit our website at ParableMinistries.com. We hope today's message finds you well. Hello, hello. (laughs) Hello, listeners. I am Noah. And my name is Alex. And we're going to be digging into the story and the character of Elijah. Yeah. We're happy to happy to be here and uh, hope that you guys enjoy listening to this. And I just want to let you guys know that I'm a little bit under the weather. So if, if I, you hear me blowing my nose, I apologize. And uh, if you hear me um, missay somebody's name, I also apologize. Noah has the correct pronunciation of the names. He's I try. Much better at it. I... <laughs> You hear me call him Elisha? It's Elijah. <laughs> J, as in Jesus. Right. <laughs> anyway, um, so, Elijah. The first thing we're going get, to get into before we actually get into Elijah himself is the historical background. Because that's really where you get to start in order to really understand the full picture of what Elijah was going through in his day. Yeah, and like, why was he, why was he saying these mean things to these such great kings? <laughs> mean, air quotes. <laughs> yes, air quotes. <laughs> but, so, so history. So going back all the way, hate to go back this far, but to the judges. So judges 2, 11. So, so this is what happened. So after the death of Joshua, right, Joshua dies. The last... Some could say one of the last great patriarchs of Israel. And so he dies. He gets them into the promised land, right? Crosses the Jordan. Book of Joshua, you can read all about it. But after he dies, things kind of go a little haywire. So after the death of Joshua's whole generation, that's what it says in Judges 2, then things go crazy. So Israel becomes unfaithful. This is where the Baals are introduced. So this god of like Sidon and Tyre and and all these other surrounding nations that were pagans, essentially. So that's where the Baals became a thing, that the god Baal is like this weird infertility god or something like that. Um, Yeah, and he only kind of receives a little bit more traction as time goes on. And as Israel becomes more and more depraved. Yeah, probably spiritually charged a little bit. I mean, I, I personally think that could be like a, a spirit behind that. But talk not, for a, a not a good spirit for yeah. clarification. You know? <laughs> and a talk for a different time. Right, yes. So, uh, but the Lord was angry because of that. Because he wanted his people for his own possession. And they mm. weren't being his. They were going to somebody else. He's a jealous God. Yeah. And so... Um, what happens next then? So, of course, a 400 years, right? Or something like that. Hundreds of years that these judges come up, they die, they come up, they die, and the people are still evil. You know what I mean? And so, uh, finally, they have the gall. Israel has the nerve in First Samuel 8 to ask for a king. They can't even handle judges. Yeah. And well, they, you know. 
I mean, I mean, at this point, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're struggling with sin, right? But at least they're still worshiping God, right? They have one God and they're, they're, they're obeying the law generally, right? I mean, not, not the best, but like they're, they're kind of guiding down the right road. And so, I mean, like, what does God tell him, tell them as a response to this king idea? So it comes up with Samuel, right? Just the goat, right? The living <laughs> that is Samuel. And the king, or the people say they want a king. And so the Lord says, so 1 Samuel 8, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. But why did he say that, right? So why was it important about these kings? Why was it so important that they're rejecting God? Because this is a huge statement from God, right? I mean, he's he's saying like this whole idea is like, it's basically shifting, right? Because instead of having judges who are all focused on, on God, right? And it's going back to him. Nobody has the power except for God to intervene and kind of do what God does, right? So now they're going to shift all the power to one person, and God warns them. He's like, this is not a good idea. Like, you guys really don't want this. And they're like, no, we want this. And God's like, you don't. <laughs> and he prophesies, I mean, even in this, where he says that it's going, like, it's going to end in a wreck. You know, yeah. like, these, pe these kings are going to take your stuff. They're going to take your lands. And he's like, you guys are going to be left with nothing. But they still ask for it. They still do. And essentially, what Samuel warns them about in 1 Samuel 8 is... You're going to be slaves to your king. Like, that's how bad eventually it's going to get. You're just going to be slaves. Like, that's how it's going to work. And lo and behold, that's essentially what happens. So, long story short, so exiting out of 1 Samuel 8. So, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, right? We got David. Actually, I take that back. Saul. What did I say? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Saul. So Saul's anointed as the first king, 1 Samuel 10, right? And he does all this good stuff at first, or it seems really good on paper, wins all these wars, ends up being a disaster, kind of has a mental breakdown, goes crazy. And then David, so Samuel finds David. I mean, Samuel's still alive. Like, mm -hmm. I guess this guy doesn't die because he's just ageless. Anyway, <laughs> so Samuel anoints David. Well, Saul's still king, which is super funny. It's kind of like a slap in the face and Saul. And David comes up as this, essentially this boy, very young when he starts his um, career, essentially. Not necessarily his kingship, but his career of just being involved in things. And so David comes up. Essentially, Saul dies in battle at one point, First uh, Samuel 31, right? And then With we son. got... Yeah. Second Samuel is more of David's up and coming, right? He becomes king, stabilizes the kingdom once again, and really does a lot of good things, makes a lot of mistakes, mm. and his mistakes pass to his kids. And we got Solomon, and enter Solomon. Which, I mean, this is, like, the whole passing on to kids is something that we're going to see a lot. Deep breath, a lot in kings. <laughs> so... Another long story short, after Solomon, so about 931 BC is typically what scholars say, right, is when Solomon dies. Mm. So from verifiable, right, historical sources other than the Bible, granted it's not exactly in the Bible of 931 BC, but pretty across the board, 931 BC, Solomon's dead. So after, after him comes his, well, 
kind of like his half son, but not really. Like his an adopted son, Jeroboam, and Rehoboam, his actual son. Mm-hmm. So they divide the kingdom. They split the kingdom. So now we got this after the three kings of Saul, David, and Solomon. It's a split kingdom. So ten tribes go up, stay up north, and their capital is Samaria, right? And then the southern kingdoms, the two southern kingdoms, Benjamin and Judah, are just known as Judah. And that's where the line of David is, right? And where Jerusalem is, the the true capital of Israel. So that's where Jerusalem stays. And so um, this kingdom's divided. We have a a list of six just crazy, backstabbing, murderous, cutthroats kings. That's essentially what happened. Like, literally, like, three kings get murdered. Like, just straight up. Like, just shame. Well, it's because they were terrible. Right. Like, I mean, they were trash. And and so, uh, that happens. So then Ahab becomes king, which is the son of Omri. He's even worse, like, apparently, than all these others. So that's mm-hmm. enter Elijah. So we're getting into Elijah now. He's here when Ahab is king. So we have division. We have paganism because Ahab marries Jezebel, who's a queen from... A princess from Sidon, which is like an outside uh, pagan nation. Mm-hmm. Like, what the heck? Like, God literally instructed them earlier in the Old Testament to not marry pagans. Yeah. And he did it. And, you know, what's interesting is kind of the the decline of the kings, right? Because after you have this, this split that happens, right? So you have this one side, which is kind of more evil than the other side. I mean, you know, the original Israel. <coughs> the north. Right, the north. But... Um, is n- is not necessarily the best, but this other side that starts to really like it starts to move farther and farther and farther away from God. Kings sixteen twenty five says that the that they got so evil that they were even more evil than the rest of them. Right? That they they were so corrupt that they were literally bringing in these false idols into the temple. I mean, I'm just like, my mind is just blown thinking about this, right? I mean, you think about like, you're sitting there at church and then your pastor comes up and it's like, hey guys, let's go ahead and let's just worship, you know, other gods, right? Let's just do that. And I've got my idol right here. So, you know, everybody can come over and they can worship this idol. And we just imagine this, right? And so, and God is just sitting here watching all of this. And I just can't imagine like, like what he would be thinking like, right oh my gosh so you have all that leading up so elijah's this prophet essentially the only really legitimate prophet that's actually hearing from god legitimately at this point one of the only legitimate i should say there were some others in the land but they were being hidden by this guy named seven thousand other people well there were seven thousand righteous people but there's probably about only a hundred or so prophets which that weren't dead, because because remember what Jezebel did in First uh, Kings. She hunted them down. Uh, Sixteen, right? She she hunted these prophets down and literally just like killed them one by one. So Obadiah, one of the remaining prophets, he takes like a hundred and fifty of them and hides them in caves. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to keep the remainder of them alive. We don't know if Elijah was among those. Not entirely sure actually, but nonetheless, Elijah's on the scene. And so, uh, he predicts this drought. So, getting into what happens here with Elijah. So, God tells him, hey, drought's coming. Tell the people. He tells the people. And 
you know, before we really get into the nitty gritty, we got to note that Elijah is a tough, a tough man. He's from the land of Gilead, where it's like uh, rough and tough. So they're like settlers, they're, they're nomads, kind of um, live in the mountains type of people. Um, like the Tusken Raiders in Star Wars, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like just very rough and tumble type of people. So uh, he is the man for the job, realistically. So he comes on the scene, predicts this drought. Then <laughs> it's funny because he says to the king Ahab, "Hey, this drought's coming," and literally just runs. Like he's like, because like, he knows he's gonna die once he says this. Because like the kings that were evil, they hated when the prophets of God told them like, "Oh, hey, this drought's coming," or like your nation's going to experience turmoil because they thought they were supposed to hear like only good things from God. Like, like, you know, and when they heard bad things, they like just killed whoever said there was like a bad thing coming because they didn't want to like receive that. So, uh, Elijah flees and essentially goes to somewhere, um, in the wilderness slash desert, uh, by a brook. And so, um, ravens sustain him. That's what God brings to sustain this man. Uh, and so, eventually, he, uh, the brook dries up, and he's commanded to go to this widow at uh, Zarephath. And so, uh, which isn't even in his homeland. Because remember, in Luke 4, Jesus says, I, I can't be accepted even in my hometown. And he actually brings up Elijah, where he says, <laughs> Elijah. Elijah had to go to Zarephath. Which, like, that wasn't even in his hometown, because he wasn't welcome. In his hometown so he goes to Seraphath right and he sees this widow there and he says listen I need you to get the remaining oil you have and the remaining flour and make me some bread like that's that's it like yeah. just stone cold and she says all right you know whatever and so <laughs> she did she doesn't just say that I mean she talks about she kind of like you know laughs at him <laughs> she's like well you know well, I, you know what I was planning to do? Like, oh, you want you want some bread? Well, you know, me and my son, we were planning on, uh, yeah, we're going to cook up the, the last, last bit of flour that we have, and we are going to eat it, and we were going to die. Like, that's what we were going to do. Yeah. And so he's like, you know, could you actually make that for me? Because I'm actually kind of hungry. It was a long trip. Like, would you mind cooking that up? <laughs> yeah. So she makes him a small portion of that. He eats it, and he actually, but he actually says, since you did this for me, since you were faithful enough to do that, this cup of oil and jar of flour is literally never going to run out, ever, throughout this whole entire drought. And it did. And Elijah stayed with them, like, the whole time. Mm -hmm. And so, literally, can you just imagine, like, this magic, like, jar? Like, you run out, and then the next day you just run back to it, and, like, it's, like, full. You're like, dude, where the candy man at? You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. it's crazy. It's but isn't it always interesting that God chose to do it after she did it? You know, like it's it's always like it's always like she, God didn't say like, "Oh, I'm gonna have this prophet come over to you and and he's gonna take care of you. Don't worry about a thing." You know, it was it was kind of like a as it's happening, which seems to be the way that God loves to do things, right? And so, uh, what happens next is crazy. So her son actually gets ill and, like, dies. And she goes to Elijah, dude, I know you've done the jar thing. That's pretty cool. But, like, my son's, my son's dead. dead. And this is what you brought upon me. Mm -hmm. And um, so this is this section, right, is 1 Kings 17, 8 through 16. 
just for y'all out there who love references. Through 24, so the remainder of 1 Kings 17 is this narrative about Elijah raising this widow's mm -hmm. son from the dead. And it's crazy. Well, you know, and it, it's interesting to me because even when she, sa she says uh, to Elijah, um, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause of my sin's death. And it's, it's interesting to me because it's like, what sin is she talking about? Um, and, you know, you think about it from Elijah's point of view. He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? And so he says, he's like, you know, he's like, whoa, 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 whoa right? So he says to her, you know, um, give me your son. Um, and he took him in his arms and he put, he went up to the, the chamber room, right? Into the lodge um, where he had his own bed. And it's interesting what Elijah, Elijah, right? Elijah <laughs> says, he says he cries out to the Lord and he says, oh God, my God, have you brought calamity upon this widow whom I have it so adjourned by killing her son? So even he thinks that God killed him for her sin, right? He's like, why have you done this? And it's interesting to me that God doesn't necessarily give him a huge answer to this, but he does revive the son. And so it's kind of, it's an interesting note that we kind of, we focus on these things, right? The, the son probably died for just the reason of dying. But we focus and we say, no, God did this against me. God is against me. And there's no indication that God actually killed the son. There is an indication that God revived the son, right? And so I feel like this is a big message for us is that one, we can cry out to God, which he does because, you know, he's like, it's pretty cool that, you know, he says, no, no, I'll, I'll try and do something. And then he reaches out to God. And he's like, God, what the heck is going on here? Right? He's like, you did the whole door thing. We were really cool about that. But now her son is dead, man. Like what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Nine, nine, one, two, nine, one, two to God. Yeah. Nine, one, two. He dialed that. He had that on speed dial. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so what she says at the end of that narrative is remarkable. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord mm -hmm. in your mouth is true. Mm -hmm. So Elijah's verified at this point, granted only by a widow in the middle of nowhere, but nonetheless verified. Definitely won't slow him down. Right. And not that God necessarily needs to be verified. I mean, he just is, but still, nonetheless, Elijah himself is verified in that moment. So now Elijah 18, here's where it gets nitty gritty and honestly kind of comical. So essentially uh, Elijah meets with Ahab, long story short, right? And he says to him, to the king, okay, listen, buddy, get your 850 prophets, right, of Baal and Asherah, whatever you got, the weird pagan gods, and I want you to bring them to Mount Carmel, right? Which is like pretty much the highest mountain in that area. And so he tells him, bring all of Israel as well, right? So all of Israel, all the prophets come to this mountain. And essentially they make this grand altar, right? For, for all to see, right? They um, do it all elaborate like. And so they cry out to their God. Because essentially what it is, what the test is, what Elijah says, he says, okay, so you cry out to your gods 
And if they send fire, and only fire, then I'll, I'll bow down. Like, your gods <laughs> we'll, we'll are worship great. together. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Amen. <laughs> we'll be united again. But if my god is the one that's, you know, well, the god that you should be worshiping strikes right. fire, then we worship him. Deal? You know, and Ahab actually says yes. Yeah, I love I love the wording here. I mean, even in uh, verse twenty one here in eighteen, um, he says, "And Elijah uh, came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different options? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is, then follow him." And the people did not answer him a word. <laughs> so I mean, he's kind of making this speech like a podcast in a sense. <laughs> yeah, where the audience isn't talking back. <laughs> that we know of. Right. right. I mean, it, it's incredible what he, the way he words it and what he says. And so, these people, I mean, they're crying for hours, right, to this God ball. They are God. literally cutting themselves. Yeah. They're going all out, right? You know, they're doing the sacrificing. They're doing, you know, like, they're... They've got everything, like, they've got the perfect wood. They've got, you know, like, they're ready for everything to go on fire. And then you have <laughs> Elijah here, who's like, you know, he's like, yeah, you know what? Let's put some water on that altar, right? He's like, yeah, just just keep dunking water. Where These guys are all over here. They're trying to make everything happen. You know, they're cutting themselves. And he's just kind of sitting there. And he's like, maybe he's sleeping. You know, maybe, maybe you're... Try and wake him up a little bit, right? You know, like sing him a song or something, right? And he said, is he relieving himself like your God? Like, that's literally what Elijah asked. Yeah. Like, <laughs> is he relieving himself right now? Like, is he busy? Like, yeah. can you like call him? Is he on the toilet or like what, what's happening right. right now? And so he also, for, for the test of, you know, because Baal hasn't rained fire yet, right? And so Elijah actually says, dig trenches. Fill them with four gallons of water, right? Because fire can't burn up water, right? It can't possibly. I mean, that. yeah, it's pretty hard for fire to do that. And soak the altar in water with, with the bowl still on top, right? The bowl's on there. So Elijah says, you know, um, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? So he says in verse 37, so Kings 18, 37, answer me, O Lord, answer me. He says it twice, that this people may know you. And they that may they may know that you are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Like literally, this whole mountain just explodes with fire, basically. So, essentially, literally, Elijah right after this guy is a savage, like a savage. He takes all those prophets, all those eight hundred fifty prophets. And he orders their execution. Mm -hmm. And Ahab does it. That's the crazy thing. Like, it's it happens. Like, as in, they're so convinced by this that they do what Elijah says. Well, because, I mean, you, you think about what he just said, right? Which is like, if my God shows up today, then we're going to follow my God. If their God shows up today, we'll follow their God. So I'm pretty sure that his life was on the line. Like, they would have done the same thing to him that he's doing to them. So, yeah, he tells them... To, you know, like, close the doors, and, like, we're going to slaughter these guys, right? And so it's it's not just him. It's everybody that was in there, and they're all just slaughtering all of these, like, high-level 
um, black magic worship, you know, people. Right. And so that's that. Right. And, and this is actually my favorite part of the story. Like, my mom actually used to tell me this when I was younger. Um, so, right, after he goes and he has this huge high, God shows up, right? I mean, just imagine you're coming home after that day, right? Like, you are on a high. What does Elijah do when he comes back? Now, I, like, there's many ways to interpret this, right? So, I'll, I'll just read it from, just straight from the ESV. Here in 42, it says, um, that... So he went up to the mountain and he bowed, he bowed himself down to the earth and put his face between his knees. So when I read this personally, I think it's so interesting that he goes from this really large high and then he goes onto this mountain and he puts his head between his legs in the fetal position, right? And so like how this strikes me is that he is always honest with God. He's always so purely honest with God. You know, like there isn't, there isn't him like, you know, like, oh yeah, I'm pretty sweet. No, he's like, puts his head between his knees and he goes through a lot more struggles than this. Um, just for the sheer sake of time, I'll make my, my point with just this, but that he wouldn't even go up and look at the, he told his servant to go out. And again, this is, you know, my, my perspective on it. But he told his servant, like, go out there and look. And he's got his head between his legs. And he's like, how about now? And he's like, no. And he's like, check again. Sticks his head between his legs again, right? How about now? Seven times. <laughs> Seven times, right? And so it's like, we don't have to be perfect, right? That's not what God's asking for. He believed. Even in the moment where he had his head between his legs. Even in the moment that he didn't want to even get up. He had his friend go over there and check because he knew that God was going to hit. And he's like, there's nothing, man. And he's like, no, no, God's going to show up. He, he's going to do it. I know he's going to do it. Puts his head back between his legs. Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, please. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. And, and it happens. So that was him praying for rain again. That, so, so that's what that was there. Mm -hmm. So this is right after again, you know, he's killed all those prophets and uh, a, you know, he tells Ahab to eat and drink right before he goes up to the mountain. So Ahab's below the mountain, and um, he's eating and drinking. Elijah asks God for rain the seven times, right? Pours. And it happens. It, it pours. Mm. And so uh, what happens next is that um, Elijah essentially teleports. So... Ahab rides on to go to Jezreel, right? And which is miles and miles, like dozens of miles away. And remember, this is back in a time where there's no cars. And it says, The hand of the Lord was upon Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Ahab started before him. There ain't no way he gets there. The man's got some legs on him. <laughs> and so, um, but this is where... Elijah flees. So he flees instead of going um, with Ahab, essentially. Because when when they get there, Ahab tells Jezebel about what happened. Because apparently she wasn't there, which I find is really yeah. ironic. Well, and remember, these were her priests. You know, like this was the, her people's priests. Yeah. And so he's like, yeah, so, uh, yeah, you know all your priest guys? Yeah, he kind of killed them all. Yeah. So <laughs> Jezebel's out for blood now. 
and Elijah runs. And this is what many commentators say is like Elijah's big sin, is he runs away in fear. And so, uh, in fact, he says that he wishes that he could just die. So, yeah, and he, he tells God that. He's like, would you just take me now? Yep, First Kings 19.4. So, he's, he's at the end of his rope because everybody's after him. Despite that awesome miracle that everybody just saw on the mountain, they're still not convinced because now Jezebel wants to kill him. And so, um, an angel essentially comes to him and touches him and says, hey, get up and eat, man. Like, you still got work to do. Yeah. And I mean, I just think that's incredible here in verse 7, right? Um, 19-7, that I, I just feel like there's such, there's such, like, he's so sad that God has to actually send an angel to tell him to eat, right? And so, like, it, I just think that it shows the intimacy of God so well, but it also shows our human nature, right? Like, he's not strong, right? He's not like this, you know, super strong individual. It is God in him. It is God's spirit speaking to him that's telling him, no, no, get up. You need to eat. And why? Well, later on, he says, you need to eat because you need to do this journey. Um, you can continue. Yeah. This, so what happens then? So Elijah gets back up and he, the Lord speaks to Elijah again. This is by far my favorite passage. So, you know, Alex shared his favorite passage, right, of the narr Elijah narrative with the prophets on the mountain, which is, is pretty hard to beat. But I just love the simplicity of what God does here mm -hmm. in 1 Kings 19, 9 through 18. So, essentially what happens is God gives three signs. The wind, an earthquake, and a fire. So even though God brought those, it says he wasn't in those. And what happens next is remarkable. And it says, after that, after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. So it says God wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. But he was in the whisper. But he whispered. And I think that's remarkable. Because I mm -hmm. think this culture is so loud, right? getting into application piece of what this passage means for us is this culture so loud, right? Our phones, technology, computers, TV, media, athletes, I mean, you name it. Earthquakes every day that we get to see. <laughs> right. But God's, I don't know if he's in those all the time. He could be, maybe. But I think he's not oftentimes. I think he's in the whisper that's being so drowned out by what's going on around us Sometimes he's saying like the Psalm 46 thing, right? Of be still and know that I am God. Like, mm. it's not about a feeling. Sure, feelings could come with knowing God, of course. But it's about knowing, being still, and just recognizing that he is God. And Elijah continues to get up after that. And he says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. Like, God, what's happening? And God gives him this promise that he'll save, still save 7,000 people because there are 7,000 righteous people left in Israel. Mm -hmm. Only 7,000. That's crazy. City of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Only 7,000. But God 
will save a remnant. That's what his promises throughout a lot of the scripture. I mean, the prophets to come after Elijah, God will save a remnant every time because of his faithfulness, which yeah. is just incredible. Well, you know, it, it's interesting to me because often uh, sadness or like, you know, whatever he was going through uh, can tell us that we are alone. Like, that's what he tells God. He's like, God, I'm the last one. She's going to, she's coming to kill me because I'm the last faithful person to you, right? Like, I am, I am the last. And God's like, whoa, 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 buddy. <laughs> You're not. I have 7,000 people, right? I have, I, you are not alone, right? There is people that can support you. There is, you know, like, there is fellowship. And I find it interesting that's after God tells him that, that he goes and finds Elisha. Um, and that is where he actually finds his successor. Yep. So, so that's why, that's where we're going to summarize this pretty quickly, just because there's a lot of material here in, in 1 Kings 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and mm-hmm. 2 Kings 1 and 2, which is like where Elijah is, right? Mm-hmm. And essentially what happens is uh, Elijah is given these prophecies from God that Ahab's house, it's going to get wrecked, like literally destroyed, just terrible. And he anoints this guy, Jehu, that, and he, and he tells Jehu, dude, you're going to be the catalyst for, like, when I destroy Ahab's house and his son as well. And uh, also the call of Elisha, right, his successor. Mm-hmm. And so, right, so First Kings 20, you get uh, no Elijah mentioned. It's just Ahab and his wars with Syria, essentially. And God's actually with Ahab in a lot of ways, which is is interesting. Ahab's an interesting character. He really is. He has a bunch of lows, but he has some really weird highs. And then we got Naboth, which is another low of Ahab. So essentially Jezebel, his wife, this is 1 Kings 21, He his wife tells him, that vineyard over there looks really nice. It's owned by this guy named Naboth. He's one of your people, not mine. Because so obviously Jezebel didn't care about him, right? Yeah, which should have been a big red flag. But I digress. So Jezebel says, "Hey, kill that guy. You'll get his vineyard. Because when he dies, it's kind of fair game." So essentially, he does it, kills Naboth, and Elijah comes in at the end of First Kings twenty-one and is like, "Dude, you've done messed up, and everything's gonna like you're gonna die because of this." That's literally what he says, like right here and there. But before he can die, Ahab repents, which is, again, a remarkable feat of such an evil man. And so he repents, drops down on his knees and repents. And so Elijah says, all right, so this is what God just told me. So you're not going to die here and now, but your son and the rest of your, like, you're done. Like, your dynasty's done. It's all going to be destroyed by Jehu, whom I just anointed, like, you know, a few <laughs> years ago. Oops. So, oopsie. And so, Ahab is doomed, essentially. So, he eventually does die, just like every human does. And Ahaziah, his son, becomes king. Uh, and so, that's what happens. First Kings 22, Ahab's killed in battle. And Elijah, in Second Kings 1, comes out swinging, denounces Ahaziah. And literally says, dude this prophecy is going to come to fulfillment with you because you're an evil man, just like your Mm -hmm. father, which is unfortunate, but true. And so Ahaziah's house was slaughtered by Jehu. That's what happened. 
uh, later on in, in the second Kings you can read about that but um, going back to Elijah essentially this is the part where he gets taken up to heaven mm-hmm. so second Kings 2 um, he he's with Elisha when this happens they cross the Jordan this is another miracle so Elijah dips his cloak in the water and the Jordan parts and so Elijah and Elisha walk through their company they have a company of like 50 plus men they're on the other side and they're loyal to Elijah and Elisha uh, but they don't necessarily see all this happen so what happens on the other side of the Jordan they take a walk uh, a chariot comes down from heaven and scoops up Elijah and he's gone but right before Elijah leaves like as Elijah's leaving Elisha says dude give me two shares of your spirit like please I can't carry on your ministry without what you have which was really God right but so very interesting yeah. uh, Elijah but Elijah gave it to him and man we read you can read later on about Elisha but he was anointed with exactly what Elijah had there yep. were similar miracles there anyway so it's, it's interesting because the even the writer um, of whoever wrote the book of uh, Kings because it was it was one book in the actual Hebrew Bible um, that Elijah had uh, seven miracles and Elisha was 14. So he literally had double. <laughs> yeah, an incredible legacy that he left. And he didn't necessarily even die. Um, and remember, we got Matthew 17, where we see at the Transfiguration. Yep. Jesus and Moses, right? So two top dogs. And it's disputed whether or not Moses actually died as well. Because it said uh, somewhere in... Uh, yeah, the Deuteronomy, whole fighting over yeah. the bones with him and yeah, there there is some stuff there. But anyway, but anyway, another time. Digress. But Moses and Elijah on the mountain with Jesus. So like Elijah's still kicking. Like he, I mean, he was there, and so we get this beautiful promise of there will be life after death. And Elijah confirmed that not just in his time, but <clears throat> later on when he appeared with Jesus on that mountain. And so um, some of the applications that we can get into that apply to our day um, is, uh, so, so the, the questions I feel like that God's asking us is, will we listen? Through this story of Elijah, that's what he was asking the people the whole time. Are you gonna listen? When miracles are right in front of your face, like when, the, when God lights up a mountain with fire, are you gonna listen? And it seems like at least the king, maybe some of the people repented there, I don't know, but the king did not wanna listen still. He wanted to listen to his wife, who was a pagan, mm-hmm. and wanted to worship other gods. So will we listen? That's the will first question. Will you be open? Yeah. Right. Second question is, what are the false gods that we are worshiping in our own lives? So what are the idols that need to be taken down? Mm-hmm. And each of us can wrestle with that. And you can talk about it as a family. You can talk about it with your friends. You can talk about it with God, obviously. Like, whatever you got to do to tear those down. I know I have them, Alex wrestles with them, but you really got to work with God and and he'll tear them down for you. Mm -hmm. And then the third one is remarkable to me. Truth triumphs over liars, every time. There might be some fear involved, right? Elijah ran away, but he still spoke God's truth and in the end it triumphed Mm -hmm. over the lies that the prophets of Baal were speaking, that Ahab was speaking, that Jezebel was speaking, I mean, a lot of lies, but truth 
won out at the end of the day. And it ultimately, ultimately won out when Jesus came and died for our sins mm-hmm. and rose again. And when he comes back. Amen. Well, that's pretty much it regarding the story and life of Elijah. Pretty significant character. And we really thank y'all for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. And we hope you can take home some of the stuff we talked about. Yeah. And uh, you guys have a great, great day. Bye. Thank you for listening to Pickled Parables. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us, subscribe, and share with your friends. If you're interested in more things like this, check out our secondary podcast called My Dusty Bible. To stay up to date with all things parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. We are a volunteer organization and we would deeply appreciate your prayers. Thank you for joining us today. We'll catch you later.